All right, well, good morning. Good to see you guys this morning. This morning we are in Matthew chapter 6. We're looking at verses 5 through 15. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15 this morning. While you're finding your place, let me just say thank you to everyone who came and, and helped us move yesterday. Thank you for everyone who has helped us throughout this entire transition period. Thank you guys for all of the prayers. Uh, we really, really do appreciate it. Uh, we are officially living in Red Oak now, our whole family, and not on an air mattress. So uh, it's great. We've got some unpacking to do, but, but we really look forward to, to being here being in the community, all of us, we'll get the kids in school and, and just engaging with folks uh, on a day-to-day basis. So thank you, thank you so much uh, for everything that you guys have done and all the prayers. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. I'll read that. We'll pray and then we're going to dive into today's message. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. To the Lord in prayer with me. And God, we come to you this morning thankful for this opportunity to gather together as a church, to open your word and to learn from it. As we, can, as we continue our series on mission, as we look at how we are to pray this week, Lord, may this message impact us. May it help us determine how we are to pray each and every single day. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, over the years, I have spoken to a number of people who will say, you know, Pastor, uh, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. And I've always been curious about their phraseology. I remember the first time somebody said that to me, I came home and I said to Jen, you know, I talked to this person at Starbucks today and they said, you know, I'm spiritual, but, but I'm not religious. And I'm like, well, what do they mean by that? You know, if somebody's going to say that, why, why would they not just say, well, well I'm nothing, I mean, nuns are on the rise these days. And so why do people still want to be spiritual, but not religious? And I believe at the core, we want to be spiritual because we have been made for a spiritual connection with God. God has designed us that way. We really just can't, we can't get away from it. But in an effort to get out from underneath the control of God, what people do is that they seek to have these spiritual experiences but not have these experiences that are controlled by God. They don't want to be religious. They don't want, they don't want God to, to tell them how they might worship, how they might seek a connection with Him. They want to do it on their own terms. And we want to do that 
We want to we act that. We want to we seek these spiritual experiences because we have been designed for them. God is our creator, and God has designed us for that, and so we can't get away from it. But in an effort to, we seek to have these spiritual experiences on our own terms. You know, people will use meditation and, and relaxation. People will, you know... Uh, get into certain diets and, and workout regimes. Um, people will seek out counseling and therapy and psychology, all in an effort to have this deep encounter with their true self, deep encounter with, with the spiritual world. Now, now, now before, before I move on, let me just say, you know, there's nothing inherently wrong about doing these things. There's nothing wrong about meditating, right? I mean, God tells us in his word that we are to meditate on his word. There's nothing inherently wrong with us seeking relaxation. There's, there's nothing wrong with us eating healthy and having workout routines. I mean, there's nothing wrong with seeking counseling and, and therapy. There's nothing wrong with these things in and of themselves, but we can use these activities in ways for which they have not been designed. And that's where things go wrong. You see, these activities are not designed to carry the weight of spiritual experiences. But people make these things carry the weight of spiritual experiences because they desire to have spiritual experiences. They want that. They need that. They, they have to have, they want this intimate connection with the divine, with God, with, with our creator. And so they, they seek it in these different ways. They seek it on their own terms. And we can have a spiritual connection with God. We just can't have that spiritual connection with God on our own terms. See, Jesus has come and Jesus has died on our behalf. Jesus has, has paid the price for our sins so that we might have a connection with the Lord. So that we don't have this, this hindrance there. He has come as, as our high priest so that we can connect with God. And, and we can connect with God through prayer. This is how we can foster that connection. This is how we can seek to deepen that connection. This is how we can interact with the divine, interact with our creator in the way that he has designed. And God has designed that we interact with him in prayer. And God has also designed ways that we might pray to him. And so how, how should we pray. Well, in order to tell you how you might pray, Jesus starts by telling us how we shouldn't pray. And so let's look at that for a moment. How shouldn't we pray? Well, he says, first, we shouldn't pray like the hypocrites. And so look at verses five and six. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And so Jesus, he, he talks about these hypocrites who would, who would go to the street corners, this busy, busy, busy street corner where everyone is passing by and they would lift up these high and lofty prayers, prayers that they have you know, crafted and they have thought about. So, so think about you. We put this in today's terms. You go down to Walmart or Brookshire's or, or maybe to Lowe's or, or if you're a Home Depot person, maybe you go across the street to Home Depot, right? And, and you take a megaphone with you and you begin to pray. And you begin to pray this prayer that, that you have crafted, that you've thought about for weeks and days and you, and you practice it at home in front of the mirror. 
And when people walk by, they, they're like, wow. Like, I, I didn't expect to, you know, encounter this when I was coming to Walmart today, but man, can that guy, man, can that girl pray. If I wasn't a nun, you know, I would want to pray like them. If, it, and Christians are walking in, they're like, man, I just shouldn't even try to pray anymore. I mean, look how good this person can pray. This is exactly what these people were doing. And Jesus says, you know, we aren't to pray like them because they have sought their reward. Their reward is man's praise. They don't care about fostering this connection with God. All they care about is man praising them. And Jesus says, do not be like them. Don't seek man's praise in your prayer. He says, instead, here in verse six, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. You see, prayer is about fostering a connection with God. And prayer is not about us, you know, having other people praise us for how eloquent and how high and lofty and how much of a connection they might think that we have with God. Prayer is actually about us developing a connection with God. And so God says, go into your room, go in secret and pray to me and I will reward you. The reward there is a connection with God. The reward there is answered prayer. Now, now let me just say, this doesn't mean that we can't pray publicly. Certainly we believe as a church that we can pray publicly. We have a time of prayer built into our corporate worship service. So what Jesus is really getting at is our heart. What does the heart say? Does his heart say, you know, I want to seek the praise of man? Or is your heart saying, I want to foster a connection with God? If we want to foster a connection with God, we can pray in public, just as we do here, and we can pray in secret. But Jesus says, primarily, we we are to, to pray to God in secret so that we aren't tempted to foster, to, to, to seek the praise of man, but to foster this connection with the Lord. And so we don't pray like the hypocrites do. He also tells us that we shouldn't pray like the Gentiles. So look at verses seven and eight. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, the Gentiles are religious outsiders. These are, these are pagans. Uh, they didn't know the Lord. And they thought that they might gain an ear with the Lord by badgering him. And so they would heap up these empty phrases that Jesus says here. Or they would just say things over and over and over again. And, and when they would do that, they, their prayers actually would become meaningless. It doesn't really mean anything. They're not trying to foster a connection with their God. What they're actually trying to do is badger their God. They're trying to annoy their God. They're trying to awaken or awaken or arouse their God so that he might then pay attention to them and answer their prayer. So think about last week's message. We, we looked at Elijah and his duel with the prophets of Baal. And he goes to them and he says, hey, we're going to figure out whose God is the true God once and for all. We're going to erect some altars, if you guys would have this. And they say, we'll do it. And, and we're going to put a bull on the altar. And we're going to pray. And whoever's God rains down fire from heaven and consumes that bull, that is the true God that we're going to worship. And, and you remember the prophets of Baal, they do this. They go first. So why'd you let them go first? And they begin to pray. 
And they begin to pray just like Jesus is talking about here. They pray these chants, and they say things over and over and over again. And then when their God is not hearing them, they begin to beat themselves, and they begin to cut themselves to try to get his attention. And ultimately, he doesn't answer them. And Elijah prays, and as soon as he prays, fire comes down from heaven and consumes the bull. Now, now if that is a bit too foreign for you, think about going to Walmart or Brookshire's or wherever it is that you shop for groceries with your kids or your grandkids. Now, now those people who design grocery stores, they, they, they're smart, right? You, you go to the checkout, and they're still trying to sell you things. And they got stuff there for adults, and they have stuff there for your kids or your grandkids. And, and what happens? You go there, and, and they say, can, can I have some candy? Can I have this little toy? And you say, no, no, we've got a cart full of food. You guys just had trunk or treat at the church. You don't need any more candy. And we got buckets full of candy at our house. Get some when we get home. But then what do they say? Please, 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 mom, please, dad, please, grandma, grandpa, please. I will love you forever. I will never ask for another piece of candy ever again in my life if you would just give this to me today. That's exactly, some, some people's kids probably do. That's exactly what Jesus is saying we do if we just heap up these empty phrases. We're like our kids standing in line at Walmart praying to God in that way. That's what the pagans do. But what does Jesus say? He says, we do not need to pray in that way. Do not be like them, verse 8, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. We have a father who is a good father, who has an intimate connection with us. He knows what we need. And so we just go and we ask him and we ask of him and we pray to him and he will give us these good gifts. Now, I know what you're probably thinking. If God already knows what I need, why do I need to even pray in the first place? I mean, can't we just get past this prayer thing and I can just get on with my day and just kind of go and God will just provide me with what I need? No, we can't do that still to pray. Prayer shows our trust, and prayer shows our dependence on God. And this means that, that a lack of prayer shows that, that we don't trust God. A lack of prayer shows that we don't recognize that God is a benevolent Father who cares for us and who wants to provide for us. A lack of prayer shows that, that we don't believe that God wants to take care of His children. A lack of prayer shows that, that we believe that we've got this, that we can do things on our own, that we don't need God at all, that we're going to go ahead and do things our way. That's what a lack of prayer shows. And so even though God knows what we need, I mean, he is the all-sovereign God of this universe. Certainly he knows what we need. <clears throat> even though he knows, we go to him in prayer because when we pray, we're showing that we trust in him. We're showing that we depend on him. We're showing that we know that he is the one who is in control and that we can't do anything on our own. And so we shouldn't pray like the hypocrites. We shouldn't pray like the Gentiles, we need to trust God. We need to know that he is our loving father. We don't badger him. We don't annoy him. He loves us. He cares for us. We go to him in prayer. We seek to develop an intimate connection with him. We seek to show that we trust in him. And so that's how we're not to pray. But how should we pray? Well, Jesus says in verse 9, at the very beginning, pray then like this. And when Jesus says this, he's given us a model for prayer. 
He's saying, this is, this is how I want you to pray. I want you to pray like this. Now, he's not necessarily giving us this prayer and saying, you need to pray exactly these words every single time you pray. I mean, you can pray these words. I'm not saying you can't. But he's not saying you should pray these words every single time that you pray. Instead, you could think of these as categories. He's given us categories within which we might go to the Lord in prayer. And as you work through these categories in your prayer each and every day, it will deepen your prayer. It will, it will give you much to pray about. Oftentimes we think, oh, I, just, I don't know what to say in prayer. Well, that's what Jesus is saying here. Well, if you don't know what to say, let me tell you what to say. Let me give you some categories within which to think as you are praying. And, and here is the outline. Here is the guide for you. And so utilize this as a guide. And as we think about this guide, as this outline is broken up into two parts, we've got the first part that deals with God, and we've got the second part that, that deals with us and our needs. And Jesus, he, he begins this prayer by saying, our Father in heaven. Now, right here, we recognize that, that we are not praying to a distant and cold God. We are praying to a God who is our Father. And so as we think about God as our Father, we are reminded first of our connectedness with one another. You see, when we believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we, we, are, we, are, we come into a family. Amen. We, God is our Father, and we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. And so as we begin this prayer, as we look at this as a category, as a model, our Father in heaven, we, we remember that we have a good and loving God as well as we remember that we are each connected with one another, so we should be driven to pray to God, and we should be driven to pray for each other's needs. This also shows our privileged access. God is our Father. We can go to Him anytime we want. We looked at Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16 last week, and we saw that, that we could enter into the throne room of God, and we could enter into the throne room of God without any fear of being killed. You know, king's throne rooms are not just places that you enter into whenever you want. You've got to be invited. And here Jesus has made a way for us to enter into the throne room any time that we like because God is our Father. Yes, He is the King of this world, the all-sovereign King of this world. But He's also our Father. And we can go to Him any time we like. We have privileged access. As we begin this prayer, we're also reminded of the power of God. It is our Father who is in heaven. God sits enthroned in heaven as the all-sovereign God of this world. And so we are reminded that we serve a powerful God, a God who controls everything. And so we begin with our Father, and then Jesus says, hallowed be your name. <clears throat> Now, name, when we think about the, the idea of name, name is, is not just something that, that we call one another here, right? I mean, you, you call me Casey, Pastor Casey, you call you Scott or Tim or John or Joe or, right? I mean, I, I, we, we call each other these things because we don't want to say, hey, you over there. Hey, hey you with the long hair, or you with the short hair, uh, you know, you that live down the street over here, right? I mean, it, it's a way for us to connect with one another. It's a way for us to uh, address one another, really. Certainly that's what name meant in Jesus' day, but, but we can deepen that idea even more today with the idea that, that, that the person's personhood, their character, their quality, who they are, is kind of bound up 
in their name. And so Jesus is saying, hallowed be your name. And, and hallowed is not really a word that we use often. At least I don't, I don't use this word on an everyday basis. I'm sure that you guys don't use this on an everyday basis either. And so some, some, some Bibles may provide a, an alternate translation. It says, let your name be kept holy or, or let your name be treated with reverence. Is what Jesus is saying here. Essentially, what, what Jesus is saying is, may you acknowledge God as God. May people acknowledge you as God. May people acknowledge you as, as the holy, all-sovereign God of the universe, the one who is set apart from us. You know, that's what holy means, that we are set apart. And so we may, may we acknowledge that God is different than us, that he is holy. And so may we live as if that is the case not taking God's name flippantly, not thinking of God flippantly, but, but recognizing that he is the all-sovereign God of this universe who is distinct from us, who is holy. May we have respect for him. Recognizing who God is, we are led to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, God's kingdom represents God's reign and God's Rule And Jesus is telling us that, that we need to pray that God's reign and his rule will be present on earth as it is in heaven. So why is Jesus praying, it, praying this way? Why is he telling us to pray that way? You see, God's reign and God's rule is not hindered in heaven by sin. Uh, there's no sin there to, to hinder us from submitting to God as our king. You see, sin is not just missing the mark. We often think about that. We often use that as a definition. We're just missing the mark. And while that's not necessarily a bad definition, I mean, certainly we are missing the mark when we sin because we're, we're supposed to live in this way and hit this mark, and we, we miss it a little bit when we sin. But, but I think thinking of sin in that way can often lead us to think that we're, we're a lot better than we really are. You know, we, we, we're generally pretty good people, but then every now and again, we, we kind of get off track. We miss the mark. Sin is a lot more than that. Sin is us living in active rebellion against God. It is us saying, God, we don't want you to sit on your throne. I want to sit on your throne instead of you. And I want you to get off the throne so that I can rule my own life. That's what it means for us to be sinners. That's what it means for us to, to sin. Certainly we miss the mark, but we miss the mark because we desire to be the king of our own life. And we forget that God is the king. And so Jesus here is saying, look, we need to pray that God's kingdom would come. We need to pray that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, that we might submit to God and recognizing that he is our king. And so this is a prayer of discipleship. This is a prayer of mission. We are praying that God would, would act in our heart in such a way that we would be willing to submit our life to him, that we would be willing to let go of our life, that we'd be willing to take the, our hands off of our life and say, God, you have control. You tell me how I'm supposed to live. You help me. As well as it's a prayer of mission. It's a prayer that, that other people would recognize that Jesus is their savior, that God is their king, and that they would submit to God's reign and his rule over their life. And so we are praying for discipleship, that we might grow to be more like Christ here. We are praying that other people might come to Christ. And it's also a prayer of the end. 
See, Jesus' second coming is our hope. This is what we look forward to. This is why we can go through a sinful world because we know that Jesus is going to come and we know that Jesus is going to set everything right. And so when we pray this, we're not only praying a prayer of discipleship, we're not only praying a prayer of mission, we're praying that Jesus would come and that he would come quickly so that he might set everything right, so that he might bring his reign and his rule to this earth now and that we might live in peace with no sin. And so this is a prayer for the end as well. Now, that, that kind of concludes the first half of the prayer as we think about God. Now we, now we begin to move to the second half of the prayer when we think about our needs. And, and the first thing that Jesus tells us to pray here in the second half, beginning in verse 11, he says, Give us this day our daily bread. In Jesus' day, most people did not have careers. Right? They didn't have a job that they went to every single week, eight, eight to five. They were day laborers. And so they would have to go, and, and somebody would have to hire them each and every single day. If you're a business person, in some sense, this is it's kind of like, you can almost liken it to this, right? I mean, you own a business, you hope that somebody's going to hire you. You hope that somebody's going to buy your product. This is kind of what people were like, except for the most people were manual laborers. And they didn't know where, where their next meal was going to come from. They lived day to day, literally. We talk about living paycheck to paycheck. These folks lived day to day. They get paid at the end of each and every single day so that they might buy food for their family. And they didn't know where that was going to come from. And so Jesus says, pray. God, give us this day our daily bread. We're exercising trust in God when we pray that. We're recognizing that God is the one who controls everything. Look, the, the reason that you have your job, the reason you have your career it's the same reason that these folks back in Jesus' day were hired every day. Because God gives that to you. It was just a bit more apparent in Jesus' day because they didn't know where their next job was going to come from. We might know. And so oftentimes we begin to forget and we begin to think, you know what? I got this career because I'm awesome. You know, I'm so good at that. I'm amazing at that. I've got all these connections. I've worked so hard on all of these things. Who's giving you those connections? Who's giving you those talents? Who's giving you the opportunity to exercise those? God has. And so we are praying the same here as they are. And we have to remember that, that God is the one who gives us what we give. God, and we, can, and we can know that God will give us these things as we just think back through biblical history. Think about the wilderness and the Israelites in the wilderness. You know, they, they kind of messed up, so they ended up being in the wilderness a lot longer than, than they were originally planned to be there for 40 years. And when they began in the wilderness, they, there's no food, it's wilderness. They're, they're traveling. They're not planting crops and all of this stuff. And, and God provides them with food. He provides them with manna. And at first, if you remember, these people went out there and they're like, food, okay, we need to collect it. We need to store it. And then the next day it was rotten. It was molded. There was worms in it. It was no good because God had told them every single day, you're going to go out and you're going to collect manna. It will be there. I promise you. And this was a way for, the, for God to show them that they could trust him. That, that he is a God of promises. He is a God who keeps his promises. And that's just 40 short years that God provided for his people. God continues to provide for his people throughout biblical history. He continues to provide for us today. And so we need to recognize that our God is a God who cares for us. That our God is a God who, who wants 
to provide for us. He loves us and he will meet our needs. And so we need to, as we think about this, we need to direct our affections back to God and away from ourselves and trust to him. Next, Jesus says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, this aspect of our prayer reminds us that that we are sinners who fail often. God expects perfect perfect obedience. We can't give God perfect obedience. And when we fail, we, we are put in God's debt because we owe God perfect obedience. And we can't pay that debt. None of us can be perfect. None of us can, can provide this perfect obedience that, that God desires. I mean, think about Christmas. Christmas is coming up and, and you know, many of you are, well, most of you haven't began to decorate unless you're the Acocks and you got this crazy Christmas thing going. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm sure some of you guys have seen it in person. I saw it on YouTube. I'm looking forward to driving by their house and just seeing all this stuff going on. But, but soon, after Thanksgiving, you guys are going to pull out your Christmas tree and you're going to begin to decorate it. Maybe, maybe you have a tradition where you decorate it at Thanksgiving with your family. I don't know. Whatever you guys do. But there's going to be, there's bound to be some ornaments on that tree that have been broken in the past. And you've kept them. I know there's some on our tree. You've glued them back together. And you've done that because those have sentimental value to you. But that glued together ornament, while it's made whole, it's not perfect. You can look at that ornament and you can see that that ornament has been, has been marred. It's been, it's been broken. It is imperfect. And that's the same with us. We're like that ornament that hangs on the Christmas tree. We are imperfect, broken people. Yes, Jesus can make us whole. But we are still imperfect, broken people. And those who are imperfect and broken cannot pay a debt that requires perfect obedience. But, but we can go to God and we can ask him to cancel that debt. And God will cancel that debt for us. Not just because God's like, oh, cool, let's forget about it. No big deal. I know, I know you did that to me. I know you did that to some other people. Let's just, let's just forget about it. God can't do that because God would be an unjust God if he just forgot about it. But God gave his only son as, as sacrifice for us. Jesus came and Jesus paid the debt that we owe, a debt that we can never, ever pay. Jesus pays it as the perfect sacrifice on our behalf so that we might be able to go to God and say, God, forgive us of our sin. And God can forgive us of our sin because of what Jesus has done. So we don't think about living an obedient life as a way to earn God's favor. But we live an obedient life because we have been saved and because we want to say thank you to God. Jesus has paid the penalty for our sins. We don't pay it. And because of that, we can ask for forgiveness. And since God has forgiven us an undeserving people, Jesus says, you are to do likewise. We should be willing to forgive. If we don't, Jesus says here, then we can't expect forgiveness. Look at verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive 
your trespasses. Now, I don't think that Jesus is setting up this tit-for-tat relationship here or this arrangement. Instead, he is telling us that, that to ask to be forgiven while refusing to forgive others is hypocritical. It, it, it in fact, unforgive, an unforgiving spirit bears the mark of someone who has not been saved, who the gospel has not penetrated their heart. An, unfor, un, an unwillingness to forgive others who have wronged you is not the attitude and behavior of a Christian. Christians forgive because Christians have been forgiven. And now I know we think, well, well this person did this to me, this, um, this, this big, huge thing to me. Think about what we did to God. We are saying to the all-sovereign creator who deserves our perfect obedience, I want your throne, get off of it. I'm gonna be the king of my life. And he still sends his son to die for us. So when that penetrates your heart, when you begin to really meditate on on what Jesus has actually done for you, we should be a forgiving people. And our forgiveness of others shows that the gospel has penetrated our heart. Think about the news lately. We've seen a number of high-profile cases where people's Loved ones have been killed. And, and, and they have extended forgiveness publicly to these people. Why? Why can they do that? Because they have been forgiven. Because the gospel has penetrated their heart and they recognize the forgiveness that they have been given. Now, to forgive someone is not to hold a debt against them. They don't, they don't owe you anything. They don't need to pay you back or work for that forgiveness. That doesn't absolve consequences. There are certainly consequences to sin. And so we're going to use wisdom and, and discretion in how we might interact with people who have sinned against us in these grievous ways. They don't owe us a debt. They're not going to have to pay us back or, or make it up to us. But we need to use wisdom and discretion in how we interact with them. And so Jesus says, those who have been forgiven, they will forgive others. And they can go to God freely and ask for forgiveness because of what Jesus has done for them. Finally, Jesus concludes this prayer <clears throat> by saying, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so Jesus teaches us not only to ask for forgiveness for for past sin, but Jesus teaches us here that we are to ask for protection for future sin and to ask for the release of sin's power over our life. This isn't isn't mean that that we're asking God not to tempt us and not to lead us into evil, right? When you look at James chapter 1, verse, in James chapter 1, we learn that God does not tempt us with evil. God does not tempt us. But it is our sin that that tempts us. And so it's not that we're asking God to do something that he doesn't doesn't do already. Or we're not asking God to not do something that he doesn't do. Let me say it that way. Put too many knots in there. Uh, Instead, we're asking that God would lead us from temptation, that we might defeat that temptation in our life, that he would lead us into a situation where we may be kept righteous. And so on the one hand, we're saying, Lord, forgive us where we have failed you. On the other hand, we're saying, God, strengthen us. 
Be with us. Keep us from sinning. Help us to recognize that you are the king and the ruler over our life. Help me to submit to you. Help me to be obedient to you. Help me to not be tempted by sin, not not let my heart and my affections be pulled over to the things of the world. Help me to have my affections in the right place towards you always so that I'm not sinning against you. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So these are the ways that Jesus tells us that we are to pray. Through prayer, we, we foster a true relationship with God, a relationship for which we have been designed, one for which we have been created, a relationship that we desire. And here's the thing, we can truly connect with God through prayer, right? We don't have to pray like the hypocrites do. We don't have to pray like the Gentiles do. We pray to a God who knows us. We pray to a God who cares for us, who loves us, who wants what's best for us. And we should pray. And we should pray often. And if we're we're struggling for for how we might pray, Jesus gives us a model here. He says, use this. Use these categories in your day-to-day prayer life as you go to the Lord in prayer. Pray in this way. And so let me challenge you this week. If you're struggling in your prayer life, or let me just challenge you in general just to say, this week, use the Lord's Prayer. Use that as the categories by which you might pray as you pray this week. See if it doesn't deepen your relationship with the Lord. See if it doesn't foster a connection with Him, a connection that that we were designed and created for. Let's challenge you to do that this week. Let's go to the Lord in prayer now. God, we thank you for this day, for this opportunity to gather together to worship you, God, may you help us to pray in this way. Not like the Gentiles, not like the hypocrites, but but to pray in a way that deepens our relationship with you, that shows a trust for you, that that recognizes who you are. God, help us to be a people who pray. And God, if there's someone here today who doesn't know you, we pray, God, that you might work in their hearts even now during this time of response we're about to have. That you might call them to yourself. You might save them. They might recognize that, that we, they are, that they can be forgiven because of Jesus. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.